are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Prejudice, prejudgment, literally, is a hard reality. I remember a friend from my university days telling the story of how he'd been taking the bus home from the University of Winnipeg one day, reading Herman Hesse's novel, Siddhartha. The bus pulled up to the corner of Arlington and Portage, and an obviously quite intoxicated indigenous man boarded. My friend said he tucked himself as deeply as he could into his book and into the corner of the bus seat, dreading that that open space beside him would be the man's choice of seats. And sure enough, it was. The man slumped into the seat and then peered over at my friend's book. What are you reading? He said. Uh, A book? My friend nervously replied, What book are you reading? The man replied, clearly wanting an answer. Um, It's by Herman Hesse, uh, Siddhartha. A brief pause followed, and then the man said, Have you ever read Steppenwolf? Which is probably Hesse's best-known novel. Well, as it turned out, That man had gone to university. He'd done a number of courses in literature, graduated with a solid degree, and then got caught in a swirl of alcoholism and addiction that had dogged so many people from his family and his community. But he sure knew Steppenwolf, and he really wanted to hear my friend's thoughts on this other book by the same author. They rode together and talked about books all the way down Portage Avenue till they hit the man's bus stop. And after he'd gone, my friend had to reflect on the prejudices he carried and on the prejudice that had just been shattered. There's a fairly serious set of prejudgments at work in this evening's story from the book of Acts. This is how it began. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? You can't do that, Peter. They're not part of the recognized circle of God's people. The story is that you shared your faith with someone named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort. A centurion, Peter, a member of the occupying Roman forces. Any Gentile is unclean, but this one is an oppressor, Peter. This can't continue. This isn't right. It isn't holy. It isn't good. Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, 
And in a trance, I saw a vision. (laughs) And what a strange vision it was. Three times, Peter sees a sheet being lowered from the heavens. And the sheet is filled with animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, birds of every description. And he's invited to kill and eat. No, no, he can't, he protests. By no means, Lord, uh, nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I'm an observant, devout Jew. The second time he sees this same vision, he hears a voice telling him, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. The third time the vision is repeated and then messengers arrive from Caesarea asking Peter to go with them. The Spirit, says Peter, told me to go. Not to make a distinction between them, the Gentiles, including a Roman, and us, Jewish Christians. And so he goes and Cornelius, that Roman officer, is baptized which touches that man in exactly the same way as it had touched the Jewish believers. Well, Peter tells them all this, and and they're silenced. His critics are silenced. And Acts says, And they praise God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Well, I, I, I can actually imagine that some of them at least still held on to some very real skepticism about it all. This was a huge step for anyone born and raised as an observant Jew. In fact, there is a passage from Paul's epistle to the Galatians where Paul tunes up Peter and Barnabas as well because they had eaten with Gentiles and had stopped. They were no longer willing to eat together with Gentile Christians because certain people had come from James, centered in Jerusalem, and put pressure on Peter and Barnabas to stop flouting the old dietary laws, and they'd capitulated. Paul's not happy. But he recognizes that old biases, old customs, old judgments die hard, even with the people soaked in the grace of Jesus, even for Peter, who had this extraordinary vision. The old biases just get their claws into us. Because, you see, the grace of Jesus is both simple and straightforward and tough. Tough to live in times marked by old prejudices. In today's gospel reading from John, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Here, Reynolds Price reminds us that in John's telling of things, Jesus speaks only two commandments to his followers in the entire gospel. 
Price points first to the, quote, one broad command of John and his Jesus to believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God and God incarnate. And then he adds this. He says, suppose that I assent, I do believe. What next? Despite the fact that late in his life, Jesus urges his disciples to keep his commands, it is important to recall that the only other command is reported by John, the last-minute injunction that the disciples love each other. Now this says to me that John writes his gospel in a way in which reflects his desire to drill down to what he sees as the utter essence of Jesus, which is summarized as, Believe that Jesus is the Christ, and then love one another. Easy as pie, right? Just believe, and then live it. Live it by loving one another. There's no complex system of laws. There are 613 laws in the Torah. Gone. There's no rigorous tasks, no long pilgrimages to be made to prove your faith. You just live it and live it in love. In the late 200s, the Christian apologist Tertullian wrote of how powerfully such love spoke to the Roman world. He wrote, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. And yet, as I said, what is simple and straightforward turns out also to be tough to live out in times marked by both old prejudices and new pressures. I appreciate what N.T. Wright has to say about that tension. He writes, Love is all about the other person. It overflows into service, not in order to show off how hard-working it is, but because that is love's natural form. This is to be the badge that the Christian community wears before a watching world. Yet, we have turned the gospel into a weapon of our own various cultures. We've hit each other over the head with it, burnt each other at the stake with it, We've defined the one another so tightly that it means only love the people who reinforce your own sense of who you are. And how often over the course of Christian history have we seen this happen? Tertullian wrote over a hundred years before the Emperor Constantine made Christianity a legal and acceptable faith within the Roman Empire. So Tertullian never had to face the politicization of faith that happened in the empire or across Europe during the Reformation or in Germany during the Second World War or indeed today in Russia and Ukraine. Both orthodox, both looking at the world through very different lenses in these times or at least some are. 
Yet even in Tertullian's time, it wasn't easy to love one another as different groups and factions within the young church divided over all manner of theological and ecclesial questions. Tertullian himself would eventually join a group called the Montanists. The Montanists embraced new prophecies and ecstatic worship in a way that roughly parallels the Pentecostalism of the first half of the 20th century. They were eventually declared heretics, in fact. Loving one another is easiest when everyone else seems to hold the same orthodoxy, theological, social, and political that we do. So it strikes me that Bishop Wright is fundamentally correct when he insists that we need to transcend loving only the people who reinforce our own sense of who we are, to learn to love more abundantly. This is what Jesus did, after all. Remember all the Samaritans, centurions, tax collectors, lepers, and lame folk to whom he extended the hand of kindness. I think, too, to my university friend on that bus ride. Transformed by a conversation with somebody struggling with alcoholism, but full of ideas and wanting to talk books. I don't think Mike ever looked at another passenger in a bus the same way ever again. To live and to love with the openness that Jesus demands is at once simple and challenging. And it is a path to which Jesus has been summoning us for 2,000 years. May we have the courage to follow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.